Welcome back to the Resurrection Church Podcast. I'm joined again by Brian Blusowski, pastor of Richfield Bible Church. Brian, you love the Bible, I think. Is that fair to say? Yeah. Why do you love the Bible? Uh, because it is the revelation of the God who is there to us. So we would not know God like he wants us to know him without the Bible. We wouldn't know him personally. And so I think that's, you know, the, the biggest mm-hmm. reason that comes to mind right away. But it's also a great book. It's, it's the greatest book. Yeah. Um, I think both of us have, at least for parts of our lives, um, been in Christian environments where um, we all say we believe in the authority of the Bible and these sorts of things. But then we run into situations where people disagree on what the Bible means mm-hmm. because it has to be interpreted. You know, it's not self-interpreting. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think sometimes we've even been in context and maybe ourselves have done this where we take scripture out of context mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and we just um, lean on a verse, so to speak, uh, that isn't saying what we want it to say. And um, I think we would both want people to read the Bible as a unified whole but that's a lot of work. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it's hard to navigate our way through this thing, especially because there are hard books like Jeremiah or like, what about this whole, like, I want to, I, I believe we should all obey the Bible, but there's like a lot in the Torah that I don't obey. So mm-hmm. we've got to figure out how to read the Bible. So, I mean, that's something that you've been concerned with for a long time. Um, but maybe before getting into any of the details, could you Talk about whether or not it's actually important to read whole books at a time or how to put the Bible together. Yeah, I mean, I, I think you're setting that up pretty well for me to say, yes, that is uh, important. I mean, if you said no, you, I guess <laughs> you could short, say that, short, but short then, it, yeah, it would be over. Yeah. I think that looking back, you know, I grew up in the church. I did read the Bible, you know, some when I was a teenager, for example, but I think Looking back, it's a lot of bits and pieces of the Bible, not really knowing how things fit together, when things happened, how they related. And I think all of that leads to us just picking and choosing a couple of verses and kind of just living out of those few verses. And unfortunately, I think even a lot of those verses that we kind of tried to live out of, we didn't really know what they meant in their own in their own context and because the bible is literature you know it's more than it's more than a piece of literature like it's it's not just like a book that we read you know lord of the rings or something like that it's it's more than that but it's not less than that mm-hmm. and so it it demands that we read it as literature and so i think what we do with the bible or at least what a lot of people have done maybe what i used to do when or, or was or the teaching i heard sometimes when I was young, you know, what people were doing with the Bible, they would never have done with any other piece of literature. Mm-hmm. And and when you do that, you just run the risk of missing the point, mm-hmm. um, misapplying, especially when it's a book that we view as authoritative and when it's, it's actually supposed to call us to something. We have to be really careful that we're actually reading it the way that it's intended to be read. And uh, yeah, so when we just you know, pick out a portion of one chapter. You know, I, I usually use an illustration like, you know, take chapter five of um, the two towers, mm-hmm. you know, in the Lord of the Rings, which is about Gandalf. And there's this line 
yes, uh, I, I was Gandalf. You know, and just then, like, thinking about that one line, which is a pretty important line, mm-hmm. you know, in, in the book. But, like, if you just take that out and try to extrapolate from that, like, thinking, like, what does it take to really understand the significance of that line? Eventually, people will say, well, it's going to require that I actually read that chapter and read that book. But actually, I'd probably have to read more than just the two towers to really understand the significance of that line because of the significance of Gandalf and the whole series. And yeah. so, so those kind of things are the just some ideas I like to think about with why yep. we need to read whole books, why we need to read those books in relationship to other books because the Bible's telling the story. Mm-hmm. Now, I think both of us generally preach through books of the Bible at a time, and sometimes just a paragraph at a time mm-hmm. working through it. And I sometimes think, I doubt that Paul maybe imagined that some guy in the United States would be talking through a paragraph at a time. And, but I think it's good to do that, but we can kind of get lost if, if mm-hmm. that's all that we look at mm-hmm. is if we just read one line in yeah. two towers. But one of, one of the ways that I, in the last five or seven years, have um, come to look at the Bible at is, is a story, as you were saying, a true story. Um, and obviously it can't say everything. No, no historical record can say everything. So it's, um, freighted with theological weight. It's doing more than just telling history, but it does that. Um, when, when you look at the Bible and you talk about this story, are there like main, um, acts or, uh, movements that you would identify that could put the story in context? Sure. I mean, there's lots of ways that people try to put, you know, the story together. And I I think you can think about, you know, creation to the cross or something like this and the cross to the consummation or something like that, you know, as a way to frame the Bible. You can also get more, you know, it just depends how many things you want to, to have in the story. But most people would see, you know, some sort of creation, fall, promise, and then at least something about that promise being fulfilled in Christ in the cross and resurrection. And then I think one of the one of the things that I noticed early on in getting into this kind of study is a lot of things were creation to the cross and I really felt like there was a a danger in stopping at the cross because the cross isn't really the end mm-hmm. of the story of scripture it's like the climactic moment in the story. It's the turning point in the story but it's not the end of the story. And, and I think if we don't push forward to the church and the consummation, ultimately, uh, of all things, when all things, when there's new creation, mm-hmm. you know, that we end up, uh, we end up missing a lot of what we're supposed to be doing with the Bible because we kind of skipped our entire existence. Because one of the great things about the Bible is that, in its story, is that somewhere along the way, it intersects with our life like we we come to realize that we are actually part of this continuing unfolding story Mm -hmm. and that helps shape our identity and find our purpose in life which is something people struggle with a lot you know in our culture right yeah yeah so the bible does tell the story of jesus's sacrifice on the cross but it tells more of a story and draws us into it you know that idea of uh theodrama or dramatic participation Mm -hmm. in the story as we enter into it um, but if we stop at the cross, then what what do you have other mm-hmm. than, okay, we're affirming this thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not scripture for us now. Mm-hmm. Um, so maybe you could talk us through 
some of these movements. And I know I have watched several of the videos that you have on your church website where you pretty much talk through this whole thing at greater length. Mm -hmm. And each individual video is pretty short, but there are a lot of them. Yeah. And somebody could probably read through the Bible and track along with it or at mm -hmm. least major movements of it. But so don't don't give us the, you know, two semester edition. Mm -hmm. Um but maybe you could start us at the beginning and just kind of walk us through and I'll maybe have some questions along the way. Yeah, so I think uh this is a good exercise for, you know, for for us here, but I think this is a good exercise for anybody that would listen to this and thinking through how you would tell the story yourself, you know, because you don't have notes with you when you're in a conversation. Yeah. You know, about this. So like you're on a plane and there's, you know, maybe you're reading the Bible and if somebody asks, you know, what is that or what, it, you know, what's that about? Like you don't have, it would be odd actually to pull out a notebook and then start like trying to lecture through that. You just need to be able to have the Bible in your hand and or on your phone or whatever and just walk somebody through what's it about. And so how do, how do you actually do that? Can you do that? These are, these are good exercises for us to actually strengthen mm -hmm. our own grasp of Scripture, our ability to communicate it to other people. And one of the things that, that I think can be helpful is to think of the Bible in terms of its main characters. Like, that's one way to do this. Mm -hmm. uh, you kind of asked earlier about some of its main events. All of these are good exercises to do, or you can think of it in terms of its main texts. Mm -hmm. these, are, these are exercises I like to push people toward. So, for example, if we want to say characters, you know, who— and what if I said that you could only have two characters? Which, which ones would you pick? You know, I think for me, I'd say, well, if I just, if I, for whatever reason, if I could only talk about two people, I would talk about Adam and I talk about Christ. Yeah. You know, and how Adam was the first man that God made to rule the world under him and he fell, he rebelled, and yet God promised that one day, he would send another man, mm -hmm. a better man, who would undo the things that the first Adam did, and and that's Christ. And he actually entered into the world that came from Adam's fall, lived the kind of life Adam didn't live. He died the death that Adam's sin deserved, and he rose again and is the guarantee of a new creation. Mm -hmm. You know, so, so I think something like that, you say, well, that that is the story of the Bible. Mm -hmm. And you say, well, what if you added a third character, you know, to that? Who would it who would it be? And I'm interested to put you on the spot here. If you had three characters, who who would you pick as your third? Oh man, that that is a tough one because I there are so many good options. Mm -hmm. I mean, part of me would want to smuggle in extra characters through a character. Sure. Um by like oh, either we're all in Adam, right? So. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> by picking like David or Israel, mm -hmm. you know, to forge that because then you can weave mm -hmm. in some more things. Yep. Maybe Abraham because yep. that's a, you know, keeping Genesis to the mm -hmm. end. Abraham's a good one yep. because of God's promises and promised ruler from his mm -hmm. rulers from his line. Yeah. Sorts and, of I, and that's probably what I, I would probably end up, you know, this is just, these are just exercises, but I, yeah. I think you see how they can be helpful to, to be able to remember things and, and gain a little bit of confidence and telling the story, I might add Abraham, you know, and then that allows you to tell a little bit about what happened in the aftermath of Adam mm -hmm. and his fall and how it led to the fracturing of not just our relationship with God, but but also our relationship with others. 
And then God calls out one man, Abraham, to promise blessing through him to the whole world, which would bring people from all over the nations to go back to God, but also to one another. That they, and, and then you see how that develops throughout the story, and, the, and every, all of our hope is in the seed mm-hmm. or the, of Abraham, who is Christ. Yeah, ultimately, you know, and and so th- these would be the kinds of ways, you know. But then I think, like I said, you could you could pick a few key texts, you know. You could take like Genesis three fifteen, mm-hmm. where God makes His promise of a, you know, a skull crushing seed of the woman, and you can kind of trace that text throughout the story and how it leads us to, you know, Abraham. You can have kings will come from you, and mm-hmm. then, and then you know, especially the, to Judah in uh, Genesis forty nine that the scepter will never depart from you, you know, you'll have dominion. And then that leads you maybe down the road to David, and then you have promises about the sons of David, mm-hmm. and ultimately to Christ, and this all, you know, leads to the final victory, not just at the cross and resurrection, but but ultimately the end of death, the end of all enemies in the end of the new creation. And so you you can take texts like that and, and find an easy way to tell the story and trace it. You can take characters, um, you know, those are just some of the ways. Or you can just try to, you know, take these events. And some, you know, you hear like seven C's or something like this. Like I've heard of different groups, you know, like I don't know if I could come up with all of them, but like you have like creation and I'm sure there's something about, I can't think of a C that works well with the fall, but. Ooh, but condemnation yeah, maybe? Yeah, I don't something know. like that. So let's forget about the C's. But you have creation, fall, promise. Yep. You know, and then you have, you know, the covenants and, and these kind of things. And you can come up with different things that you could use as, anchor points for you to to help you know the yeah. story. I I like thinking about it that way because I think we all are equipped to do that in a more general sense with literature or with a movie because we're all able to intuitively explain to someone what a film is about or what mm-hmm. a book is about through all those ways that you've talked about whether it's through progressions of scenes or characters and even text I suppose. And and it maybe can even be tailored to the situation you're in, mm-hmm. you know, that that first Adam to last Adam mm-hmm. is a really great encapsulation. And you have a great text there, like Romans 5, yep. um, to where you could just very quickly do that, mm-hmm. where in other places you might want to talk about, like, oh, this is a bigger story, you know, tracing the seat of the woman, kind of like a Jim Hamilton-like sure. thing. And and I think on that, like, you, you are weighing, like, who am I talking to? What is the point of this conversation? How long do I have? You know, and, and maybe what is of interest to them or what is a need? Mm-hmm. You know, so I have a good friend who uh, actually has been real inf- influential on my own thinking about these topics, and he now ministers in Cambodia. And, you know, where there's a lot more awareness of the spiritual realm, mm-hmm. a lot more fear of the demonic realm. And, you know, so when he would tell the story of scripture now in that context he would highlight more than i probably would by default in our own culture not that i couldn't or shouldn't mm-hmm. um but the role of satan the role of the demons and jesus's triumph at the cross over the demonic realm you know because i think if you look at colossians 2 uh, verses 13 to 15 as a good example you know my inclination in my own culture, when I'm sharing the gospel, would be to say, we were dead in our trespasses and sins, but we've been made alive together through Christ. 
because we've been forgiven all our sins because the record of our debt has been nailed to the cross. Yep. And I would stop there, even though Paul actually continues and says, and through that, Christ has disarmed the spiritual forces of darkness, having yeah. triumphed over them. <laughs> and and whereas my, my buddy in Cambodia might really emphasize that too, and I and actually think maybe I should be emphasizing that more than I am, but but I think that's just a good example of how the person we're talking to, the culture, the, what what the needs are in the moment, uh, you know. But you might have a conversation about this with a teenager who's a Christian, who doesn't enjoy reading the Bible. Like that was a big part too, and that maybe you're trying to show them the person and work of Christ in in some way, but but maybe you're actually trying to show them how the Bible fits together and how to be a better reader mm-hmm. of the Bible, and that's going to actually change your telling of the story, not because it's a contradictory story, but you, you have a different aim. Yeah. Now, I think some people would argue that probably one way of laying out the biblical storyline is better than mm-hmm. other ways. Mm-hmm. So perhaps um, maybe an argument that the covenants are the narrative sure. backbone of the Bible, sure. so you should tell this story in that way. Um, it seems like maybe there's some flexibility there. Maybe for different purposes, mm-hmm. there's a better or worse way. But as you try to conceptualize the Bible when you're picking up any text, is there a process you go through to kind of figure out where you're at in the story, how to frame your reading of that particular text? I don't know that there's a single way that I would do this with the text, but I think if I know generally what is in the text that I'm going to be reading, so if it's going to talk about the presence of God or something, like that starts to shape my thinking, I'm going back through the story and thinking about God's desire to dwell with his people. And mm-hmm. so, um, whereas if I'm talking about um, something about the king, then I'm going back in my mind through the story about the promise of the seed who would crush his enemies, and I'm mm-hmm. like tracing that down its path because it's going to help me set this story about a king or this psalm that praises the king in its in its context in a way that's different than if I was thinking about the presence of God. Like sure. You know, so that that might be one way that it it you know shapes my reading okay. of, of that text is what are the themes that are in this? And and most of these big themes that we're talking about actually start in Genesis and they do carry themselves out through the Bible. And so that's why I think coming up with different exercises that helps you to think of major themes. in most books about this try to eventually try to argue this is the main theme. Yep. You know, this is God's glory and salvation through judgment, which I love this book by, by Jim Hamilton. But, you know, you, you, you read it, and you're like, well, you're talking about that in every single place in the whole Bible, and is that the main theme? It may be a sub-theme, you know, in, in uh, most of these yeah. places. But sometimes it doesn't really show up. Yeah. Like, if you look at the section on Song of Solomon there, yeah. what's that contributing to the theme? Yeah. Yep, and so I think just being careful... Though certainly covenants, you know, temple, presence of God, um, you know, all, king, these are all absolutely major themes, and you could try to argue that the, you know, a redemption even, that the Bible is about that. I would just be careful about putting too much weight on one particular theme that you, like, ignore maybe some of the others. Sure. So when we're reading through the Bible and looking at them, looking at the story through different lenses maybe, or emphasizing different themes, we should avoid trying to oversimplify what the Bible is or what it's communicating to just one isolated theme or 
and maybe even an important thing, mm-hmm. like um, the serpent being crushed by the seed of the woman. Mm-hmm. Um, so what, what would your practical advice be for people who are trying to start these exercises for the first time? Yeah, so I think one, we got to read, we got to read the Bible, probably the whole thing, you know, at least once would be a good, would be a good start, you know, but, but I think we also could get some guidance, you know, so, so for example, <clears throat> I put together a, a list, a reading list, you know, that's maybe like a third of the Bible that I think would introduce you to all the kind of genres in the Bible and, and would trace the main stories, you know, within scripture, maybe something like that's a little more manageable, you know, for people, but, but getting familiar enough that you can read through that, you know, th- those are some, that's like just bare bones, you know, you, we, we do need to read the book to be familiar with it. But, but then beyond that, I think I've liked the headings that are in the Bible because <clears throat> once you have, this is a great, there, there's a lot of benefits to this, but, but you know, those bold headings that are above your text, they're, mm-hmm. they're actually more helpful, I think, than chapter numbers or something like that because they, they kind of focus on a, a set of related paragraphs, sometimes called a pericope, and they summarize in three or four words, five words, what, what that's about. And I think you can go through a whole book of the Bible and read through all the headings. Mm-hmm. You can do that in a couple minutes. And what I would say is read through those, and if there's a couple of them that you have no idea what's going on, then maybe you need to actually look at those verses a little more. And then maybe you say, well, I, I want to just see what the Holy Spirit does in the Torah, mm-hmm. the first five books of the Bible. You, it might take a long time to read the Torah as a whole, but you could read the headings of everything in the Torah. And that might be a half hour study to do that. And you could mark a couple sections that you're like, you know, I, it said something about Balaam here. Like, and I don't remember what that's even about. Mm-hmm. And so that maybe gives you an, a way to improve some of your just general Bible knowledge. But the more and more that you do that kind of thing, you're now familiar with those stories, and all you need to do is like think through the theme that you want to, to study and go back through those headings, and you'll be able to note the different places where this has come up, where the Spirit shows up mm-hmm. in the first five books of the Bible, and you'll be surprised on that one in particular how often the Spirit is, in, is involved in things and in what the Spirit is involved. And then once you have those marked, maybe you came up with 15 places in the Torah, and then you could go and you could grab some of those texts and you could look at them and read them. But because you keep doing this over and over, you know that the story of, you know, the the construction of the tent, where there's a big emphasis on the spirit empowering mm-hmm. these guys, this one guy in particular, to be skilled in his work in making the tent. Like you you know now where the tent construction fits within the story of the Torah mm-hmm. and and why they're building the tent and so forth. And so like, you're not just randomly pulling out some verses, like you actually know what's going on in that story, but you're trying to look at it for what it says about the spirit specifically. Yeah. And uh, that's been a really, I, I've actually done a lot on that particular topic of the spirit in the Torah. And I, I've learned a lot through that, you know, and, but you want to have ways that you can improve your general knowledge of the Bible. And I think the headings has been probably the, a key one for me 
and in a way I've tried to encourage other people. Yeah. So a couple of years ago, I bought a Bible and I was getting really frustrated because the corners of the pages were stuck together. So I mm. was like, I'm going to just sit down and flip through every page so they can be separated. Mm -hmm. And I started attending to the headings and I was like, this is actually probably a really good practice, mm -hmm. especially if someone's never read through the Bible before, before saying this year, I mm -hmm. commit to reading the Bible in a year. Well, before you jump into that, maybe flip through and look at all of those headings and you'll get a better sense of where you're going. It's almost like spark notes almost, mm -hmm. or it's like, I'm going to get lost in Macbeth or mm -hmm. whatever. And if I just look at this and it gives me the main movements of this, this story, then I can navigate it a lot easier. Yep. More and, easily. And yeah. And you'll learn more of what you really do know or don't know mm -hmm. if, if you'll do that. And it's okay if you don't know much of the story. So it's all right. Yeah. That's yeah. a whole point of jumping in. Mm -hmm. um, on that spirit connection, is that like um, Genesis 1 creation and tabernacle, you know, the world is the dwelling place for God? Is that maybe is an example of how we make connections or are, do we press things too far or are we just making it up because it sounds good to us when we're doing things like that? Well, I think there's always a danger of, you know, maybe trying to make too many connections. Um, but I think it's a good practice anyway to try to at least think through, like, what are the possibilities? Um, I just love going in order through Scripture on, like, any and every topic. I think the more that you go in order and just see how the story, how the bigger story is developing and how the sub-theme that you're trying to trace is is being developed, like the, the better. Because as long as you're seeing the things all growing together, I think you're safer on a lot of the connections. I think the problem is sometimes when you just look up the word spirit and you end up with, you know, 373 verses and you just kind of like make, you know, 10 observations about yeah. the spirit. Like, But when you're actually thinking of it in terms of how it's unfolding, that's good. But uh, on the spirit in the Torah, yeah, I think with creation, it's really interesting. It's kind of mysterious, you know, what's mm -hmm. going on exactly. And I was just preaching this last, uh, just preaching recently on the spirit's role in the birth of Jesus. Okay. You yeah. Know, and, and it's, it, I didn't make any big points about it, but certainly in my own thinking, and that was very interesting, like the spirit's role in creation in Genesis and then the spirit's really clear role in Matthew 1. Mm-hmm in the conception of yep. of Christ and whether there's any kind of like creation and now new creation yeah. sort of things going on there. But but one that I would point out from the Torah about that I love about the Spirit is Moses, when he said, uh, I, there's uh, these guys who are prophesying in, num in the book of mm -hmm. Numbers because Moses can't carry the load all by himself. And so God says, I'm going to take some of the Spirit that I put on you and I'll put it on other people. There's like these 70 guys that then prophesy or whatever. And then there's these two other guys that are prophesying, and Joshua's all upset about these guys. And Moses says this amazing line where he says, you know, would to God, I don't know if this is the, whatever translation you use, but would to God that all of God's people had God's spirit. It's something, yeah. it's something like that. And I think in the story, like that's very revealing of the unique role that God's spirit has on a very select group mm -hmm. of people. And that's one of the big things you see in the Torah about the Spirit, but Moses, at least off the cuff, like just saying this, but it seems like it's a genuine longing too. I wish that all of God's people had God's Spirit. And when you think of that in light of what the direction is in the prophets, mm -hmm. and then ultimately at Pentecost and in the New Testament, about God pouring out His Spirit on all 
of yeah. his people. And this being a huge new covenant promise, like that, that's like an example that you maybe would have never have thought about that, but but by just looking at the stories about the spirit in the Torah, it helps you. Yeah, it's going a particular direction. Mm-hmm. And then you get to Isaiah, you know, I'll put my spirit in their mouth. Mm-hmm. And and then Pentecost, New Testament talking about it. I think a good example of on the on this topic, but maybe as a broader illustration, my supervisor, Dr. Kossenberger, teamed up with a systematic theologian and did a volume on the Holy Spirit where he went through the Old and New Testament, and then uh, the systematic guy did more of a systematic treatment in the mm-hmm. second half of the book. Um, so maybe that, that would be of interest for somebody. There are other books like that too, but not just plugging in to Google all verses with Holy Spirit and then coming up with something, but... Um, framing them in the narrative and passage that they're in. Yep, yep, absolutely. And I, and I think all of this comes back to our belief in progressive revelation as well, like the idea that God didn't say everything you know, at once. God gradually revealed more and more of himself and his plan and his purposes in the world, and we see that throughout the unfolding story of Scripture. And so the more that we can get familiar with that story and then study things in light of that story, and it doesn't mean there's no value in, like, going back and rereading things or just, you know, looking at it eventually as like a systematic theology question, like who is the Holy Spirit? Like that's a, that's a really good question. But, but starting with what's often called biblical theology or more of this like progressive reading and letting the text just shape our thinking gradually mm-hmm. over time, I think is a, is a great place to begin. And that's actually something that's really accessible even if you don't know a lot about the Bible to start with, because you can just start at the beginning and work your way through, and you don't have to go fast. You can just see what does God say or how does he reveal this dimension, you know, this mm-hmm. this promise of this seed. You know, what where else, what's the next place that we see a mention of the seed or similar language about God promising to raise up a seed, mm-hmm. you know, who's going to rule? And, and you'll see that. I mean, by the time you get to Genesis, you'll have really learned... You know, a lot by the end of Genesis about yeah. that, and have a really good perspective of where the rest of the story is going to go, and then it'll help you and to understand the rest of the story when you read it. Um, as we wrap up this this portion of the episode, I'd I'd be curious to hear you talk about the role of the Christian community in reading the Bible, because as we talk about reading it um, and benefiting from it, being enriched spiritually, mm-hmm. and then also making interpretive decisions along the way, mm-hmm. whether that's forging a connection between the Holy Spirit, tabernacle and creation, mm-hmm. or, or something else. Um, what, what would your advice be for Christians as they read the Bible, not just alone, but with other people? Yeah. I think ultimately read the Bible. You know, read the Bible by yourself, read it with other people, talk about the Bible, think about it, pray through it, talk with other people about it. I mean, anything where you're in the Bible is good. But I think what you're getting at is that there is a need to study the word in community. And God has gifted, Christ has gifted the church specifically as a place to study the Bible and grow to know God. And God actually, and Christ actually gifted the church with people, pastors in particular, who are responsible uniquely to herald God's word and instruct people in God's word. That doesn't mean we don't have our own opportunities to read it and learn from it. But we shouldn't ignore the gifts that God gives us graciously of pastors and of other people who have the Spirit. 
And I think uh, our access to the Bible is a gift for sure. Like our, our everywhere access that we have our, tons of our own copies of the Bible, we can get them all for free on our phones, you know, all these different translations we can listen. All of this is a blessing, but it does take away from the communal aspect that would have been really prevalent in the first century mm-hmm. church. So if, like, if you think about what a Christian's experience was with the Bible in the first century, <clears throat> one, they would have been just in their Old Testaments almost entirely. Like for 30 years, you had growing churches who read the Old Testament and rehearsed orally the things they had heard from the apostles and maybe from Jesus yeah. Yeah. directly. Like they, there wasn't even a New Testament for them to be discussing. But then maybe they're in Thessalonica and it's 20 years in after the death and resurrection of Jesus, they, they get a letter from Paul and now they have that. But how did, what did they even do with that? They, somebody got that letter and read it publicly. And maybe they read it and they read it again. And maybe they read it every week for a long time. But it's not like people were taking that home, you know, or, or each getting their own copy of it. It was actually you, you came to some setting, some home, and somebody read it mm-hmm. to you. I think that's even still going on at Revelation, which I take it's pretty oh, yeah. late day, I mean, the last book of the, of the Bible, I think, you know, where it's blessed is the one who reads and those who hear. Yeah. And I just think that's... Yeah, who, and not just who reads, but who reads aloud, right? Yeah. I can't remember the yeah, exact I mean, language. It, but. Some translations will say read aloud, even though it just says read, but that's because that's what was going on. Yeah. Like they, they add read aloud because we think read and we think read privately. Mm-hmm. And the translation is just trying to say, you have to say read aloud because that's what was happening. Yep. Blessed, that's why it's singular. Blessed is the one who reads and those who hear yeah. and, and do it because that was the setting. I mean, this letter is being sent around to all these different churches, yep. the seven churches, and, and one person's there reading it and everybody else is listening to it. And so there was a constant reminder of like where we are studying God's word. And now, and now, but then they would go and they would meditate on God's word. Oh, yeah. You know, yep. on their own, just like you might see in the Psalms or something that, you know, David is meditating on on his bed, mm-hmm. you know, on, on, the, on the truths of God. But throughout both Testaments, it's really a communal activity, too. And I think we need to hear that as Americans because we like to kind of do stuff on our own and think our own thoughts. But the more that we bring it into the community, the better, because yep. other people have God's spirit, too. They see things that maybe we don't see. We see things they don't see. And then remembering that God has actually gifted us with, with pastors as a unique gift to just try to help people and feed people God's word. And, and I think as pastors, we always need to remember that when we teach, we're also, we're not just teaching content, we're also teaching people how mm-hmm. to study the Bible. Like I remember as a young man hearing a, a pastor friend tell me, you know, your people will study the Bible the way you preach it. Mm-hmm. And that, that really stuck with me. Or every every sermon is a lesson in hermeneutics. Yeah, in how to study your Bible. Like those thoughts, I mean, that's twenty years ago, and those have really shaped my own thinking about what we're actually doing. It's not just the delivery of content yep. on a Sunday. It's it's actually how to get to the content because that's what people are going to be doing throughout the week. Yeah, it's important the content, mm-hmm. but maybe even more important is the way you illustrate how to engage with texts of scripture. Um, I sometimes overstate it, but I like to tell people, I, I would be way happier if you read the Bible with people, other people three times a week than if every day you looked at Instagram and saw a verse mm. and, and thought about that one verse, mm. uh, just because of the the way that Christians forever and God's people before read the Bible together and then meditated 
on those things, you know, mm-hmm. the writing it on your doorpost, all of these sorts mm-hmm. of things. People had text verses of scripture, sure. but um, that community aspect, I, I think it's really yeah. important. And a family aspect too. Yeah. You're thinking of those texts about the yeah, doorpost. Deuteronomy. A lot of that was for your home. Yep. You know, and that you're going to be talking with your kids. On all the way. Day, all day long. Yeah, you know? that's great. Well, Brian, thanks for um, talking us through how to engage with scripture as a whole. And I look forward to our final episode where we hear from you a little bit more on reading the Bible. Sounds good.